Thank you, worship team, and leading us in songs and of praise, focusing upon our Lord Christ and whom we boast in. Appreciate just even hearing all the, the harmony of the different instruments, but also the different voices uh, this morning. It reminds me just a small little kind of picture of even the body of Christ, how we are all different, and yet uh, we serve and live together in, in harmony uh, that is uh, because of Christ. This morning, we'll be reading from James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, as we continue our study through the book of James. James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. Let's listen to what the Word of God says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for these words that serve as a reproof to all who would plan their lives apart from you. Lord, we pray for wisdom. We pray for understanding this morning, that you would help us to grow in a a greater understanding of your will, Lord, that we would grow to understand more of who you are, and help us to grow in understanding of how we ought to live in light of who you are. Help us to align our will to your will, that we would learn not to boast in ourselves that we would learn to boast in Christ. Father, we pray that your spirit would teach us now. Be our teacher, we pray. Give us understanding and insight, conviction, and the grace to be not only hearers of your word, but doers as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This past week, uh, this past whole week, we had our uh, day camp, our summer day camp. And... uh, it was a blast, uh, as I understand. We had good, a huge number of staff. I want to thank all the staff that had helped out in uh, planning, coordinating, serving, uh, watching over the children. And it was neat because I, I saw I came to the, the family dinner time and just saw such a, a, a huge number of, of people, parents, and families that were not from this church, but from our community. And so I, I was just imagining that for some of these people, it was maybe the first time they were hearing the gospel and that was just a joy to kind of see that, knowing that that's what was taking place this past week. But, lot, but if you can imagine, there was a lot of plans that, was, that were required to make our day camp to come together. And we want to especially send our thanks to our uh, day camp directors, all six of them. And, uh, and they know who they are, but we have uh, 
we are appreciative of them and all the plans that they made and to bring the day camp together. But not only their plans, but then the plans of our crew leaders, of our station leaders, uh, and all the different helpers. The planning was required. I could just imagine if they didn't plan. You know, they, they had a little science lab here, right? And you can imagine, uh, it was, I think it was Nathan and Chris uh, coming in here saying, you know, boy, what, what chemical reaction will we go? Let's go see what kind of chemicals we're going to find underneath this, the kitchen sink. And, and let's just mix them together and show off to the kids. You know, that would be deadly, okay? That could be deadly, as you know. Well, hopefully you know. Planning is required for major events like day camp. But the reality is we plan all the time for big events and small events, for short-term things as well as long-term things. We make plans. We are planners. And some of us are great planners. Some of us are, well, I plan because I have to. But we all make plans one way or another. In the Bible commends the wisdom of planning. It tells us that wisdom, that in planning there is wisdom. Wise King Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, that the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. And when you plan, it leads surely to advantage, but if you're hasty and you don't plan, well, it can surely lead to poverty. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in fact, as well, in Luke 14, verse 28 through 31, taught the need for thoroughness in planning, even as we, uh, co- even as applied to coming to the Lord, that we should thoroughly examine to see the truths of the gospel before we make a choice and to believe upon Christ. Furthermore, we learn in the Bible that God Himself makes plans. Not only the plan of salvation that from eternity past, but we think of Jeremiah twenty nine verse eleven, when God said to Israel, "For I know the plans that I have for you." declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. God has plans for everyone. So it is therefore wise as those who are created in the image of God as we go about our tasks, our lives, for us to make plans. But there is a kind of planning that the Bible and our pastor this morning warns us against. And that is when we make plans apart from God, apart from acknowledging him, apart from considering what he would want for our lives. Even as Christians, we can do this. We can live our lives. We know we've got eternity secure because of through faith in Jesus Christ. But then we live our lives going, doing whatever we wish, raising up families, getting jobs, building careers, building, uh, building for the future without including God and his will in what we endeavor to do. And as finite humans, when we plan apart from God, we, in effect, are boasting in our plans, boasting in our wisdom to make such plans, and boasting in our ability to carry out such plans. This morning, as we study our text, we're going to learn why this kind of planning is foolishness and even sinful. With this passage, we arrive at what I believe is the beginning of the conclusion of James. James has kind of been speak, teaching us in various subjects of how faith works. But now he kind of he, he not brings it up a notch as he now calls out a certain group of people that were in the, the church, in the, in the Jewish, among the Jewish believers. James had inspired, encouraged the, his readers to have a faith that works, a faith that doesn't just hear the word but does the word as well. And so he now, but he, here he calls out those who are rich. 
those who have means. It doesn't mean necessarily mean that they're, you know, like the, the 1%, but those who have the ability to make ends meet. Those who are able to make kind of enough so that they are their own masters in a sense. They're not slaves who have to answer to, uh, to a master or lord, but they're able to go about doing whatever they wish. And James strongly then challenges. He calls them, come now, call them out, you who are rich and you who make these plans. And he challenges them before, in, in these words before returning to a general ex, uh, exhortation to all his readers. And But though he writes to the rich, and maybe you're rich, and maybe you have means, and maybe you're not, the lesson of these two passages is for all of us to learn. They apply to all of us. There's a wisdom here that applies to all. So as we look at this passage today, we're going to look then and how, as we think about faith that works, we see that faith in Jesus Christ, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, does not boast in one's plans. But instead, we're going to learn we're going to boast in the Lord in, our, in the midst of our plans. As an outline for us, as we walk through this passage, we kind of have a three-point outline. It's kind of a long one today, but I just kind of, kind of liked it. Three truths about boasting in one's plans. So it's this theme of boasting in one's plans. Three truths that we're going to learn about it, which remind us as believers in Christ to always acknowledge God's sovereign and providential will in our lives. Just acknowledging God. All right? So let's take a look then at these three truths that we'll look at. First of all, number one, James introducing, warns us, really, of the folly of boasting in one's plans. That's really the, the foolishness of boasting in one's plans. Remember, James is kind of like, uh, we've mentioned in other cases, that James is sort of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's full of wisdom. In fact, it uses terminology and words that just almost seem to come right out of Proverbs. And just, you'll notice today, I quote a lot of Proverbs, even in this message. It reminds us even of a very the proverbial wisdom of the Old Testament, a very black and white thing. So you're either following the way of the righteous or you're following the way of the wicked. You're either wise or you're a fool. You know, you're one or the other. It's just kind of not, it's not, you know, in between, but it's really black and white. And here uh, we'll see this, uh, the proverbial-like display of the foolishness of man and his plans in these verses. James begins, then, is to, as an example of uh, a, ca- a case of man's foolishness, he brings out and points out the certainty of one's plans. When man makes plans, he has such certainty. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. The interjection, come now, is used to begin this passage, as well as in chapter 5, verse 1. And there he's going to say, come now, the, you who are rich. So he's, he's calling them out. He's, making, he's focusing his attention on a certain group within the believer, among the believers, among those who are uh, professing believers in Christ. It calls to their attention. And he addresses those of his readers who were confidently making plans apart from God. Living their life very specifically, very with you know with uh, with determination and confidence without God. The example that James gives here is from the merchant class, and in those days, in first century uh, Mediterranean uh, region, there were a large number of Jews spread about. And James is writing to those Jews spread out apart outside of Israel in Syria, in Turkey, in even as far as Rome to the east as well, and even in Egypt. So there were. Jewish people traveled all around, some were because of persecution, 
But as you know, even when we, you, know, you go to a different country, you find someone who's a fellow American, and they're out there. More often than not, why are they out there? Not to go to school, but usually it's because of business. It's because of commerce. Uh, that someone's going out there to buy and sell. We're trading ideas, trading products, uh, and purchasing products. And in the same way, the, uh, there were many Jews who became the merchants in, um, in, the, in these respective areas. So there was a large number of Jews who were merchants. They were well off compared to the average dispersed Jew. And there was, it seems like the majority of the Jews were poor, but there was still a good number of these wealthy Jewish merchants. They had the means to travel on business. Uh, even today, I mean, just talking about buying plane tickets, I was like, wow, I wanted to fly to the East Coast. I'm like, wow, it's expensive to fly. Uh, not as cheap as I used to think. You've got to be wealthy to fly these days, it seems like. But anyways, notice the certainty of these people's plans. Notice how certain they are. They know, they know when their plan will happen, today or tomorrow. And by the way, uh, today or tomorrow is not even because they don't know. It's just James is using these kind of two terms, these phrases today or tomorrow, even such and such a city, uh, kind of to indicate that he's speaking generally, that they really, when they make plans, they know it's going to be today I'm going to go or tomorrow I'm going to go. Uh, but he's saying, well, even as we make plans, people are very definite. They kind of know exactly the day they want to go. They also know not only when their plan will happen, they know where their plan will happen, such and such a city. It's not that they don't know, well, maybe this city or that city, but they really have a specific city in mind. But James say, you might say this city, and another person will say this city, but you have a definite city in mind. James is giving here this, uh, continuous examples. They, furthermore, the plan continues. They know how long their plan will take. They are going to spend a year there. They know they're going to be there for a year, and then they're going to come back. They know what they will do. They will engage in business. They will do. Uh, they will open up an emporium. That's the Greek word for engage in business, and from which we get our, our English word emporium, where people are buy and sell things, and that's what they were doing. They were import exporters. Uh, and but most importantly of all, they know the bottom line. They're going. They plan to make a profit. Right? Why go to all these detailed plans if you're not going to make a profit? They were confident that this was something, and this is a huge investment of their time, to live a whole year away from uh, where they were with their home, and they would do so to make a profit. These individuals, if you can just kind of sense their, their plan, really exuded confidence. You know, you ever kind of meet someone like that? They really know where they're going. They have a very clear sense of where I'm going, where I'm heading, and here's my plan to get there. And when you meet people like that, you kind of like, we have a little respect for that. I think in our culture, we say, wow, that man, that, man, that woman, they're really confident about where they're going. I wish I was more like that. Most, well, okay, I won't say but we speak for most of us, but I'm, you know, not so confident. Oh, I'm not sure. Maybe. Um, it could be. I hope to do that. Uh, <laughs> but when people are like that, they are, they are so confident. And we, we know people like that. And they tend to be our leaders of our world. They're confident people. These people expected their plans to work. They expected it to lead to profit, which is very important for uh, people who are involved in, uh, in business. But I want to point out that James here is not condemning either the practice of planning, nor is he condemning capitalism, nor is he condemning a desire to make money. Rather, James is pointing out the foolishness of such planning apart from God, which we'll see in, fleshed out in the reign of our text. These people had a great self-confidence in their plans. And not only their plans, but their ability to fulfill those plans. They were planning their lives as if they were the masters of their destiny. But they weren't. And so James contrasts such certain plans 
with the uncertainty of one's life in verse 14. Here we can start seeing some proverbial wisdom. He says in verse 14, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. As human beings, none of us have any certainty of what tomorrow will bring. We are all familiar with weather forecasters, and we kind of look to them to uh, forecast the weather. And weather forecasters, they're smart people. They are studied, you know, meteorology. They have studied now the science of, of the weather. They've based their, their forecasts upon historical data uh, that they, within our region. And so they, they come up with a forecast. And even so, and generally they are true, but we have all experienced, you know, say, well, the weather forecast said this, but, oh, man, it's raining today. I can't believe it. Or he said it's going to rain tomorrow, but, oh, you know, where's the rain? Uh, we've all known weather forecasters. Even based upon all their knowledge, based upon all their experience and all their data, they make mistakes. Because why? Because no man can see into the future, even just tomorrow's weather. Just tomorrow's weather we can't even see with a certainty. We can have a, an idea but not a perfect certainty. And that just reveals the finite, the, the limitations of mankind. We don't even know what tomorrow is going to be like. None of us know if tomorrow we may get sick, if tomorrow we may get in an accident, or if tomorrow we die. Our lives, James writes, is like a vapor. It's a wisp of smoke, a mist that's here one moment and gone with the wind in the next. James' point is that our lives are transitory and fleeting. That it's brief. And we really, we're not anchored to anything, even as we try to make solid and certain plans. David writes in Psalm 39, verse 5, Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, I believe it's Psalm 139, by the way. And my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man is at his best, is a mere breath. Our lives are like just a breath. It's just here in comparison to God, who is eter eternal. We're just here for a little, just this amount of time. And God's here for, God exists for eternity. So therefore, it, would be, it is foolish for us as human beings to, to make such certain plans without acknowledging who we are in light of who God is. The God is the sovereign God, and we are simply wisp and vapor. We can't even know what tomorrow, we can't definitely know what tomorrow brings. So Proverbs 27.1 says, do not boast about tomorrow. Don't boast about tomorrow and what you want to do, what you're going to accomplish. For you do not know what a day may bring forth. We can't guarantee what tomorrow is going to bring. I might say tomorrow, oh man, my day off, I'm going to eat ribs. Mm, I'm, I plan to eat ribs with my wife. But I can't guarantee that from happening, can I? I might find that I get an upset stomach. I might find that my wife objects. I might find, <laughs> she might just make it for me. No, but I might find, for any number of reasons, that, you know, hey, there's a lot of food left in the refrigerator. Well, don't waste your money and go buy some ribs. Eat what's, eat what's already there. We can't, I can't even guarantee that I'm going to eat ribs tomorrow. Though I, you know, I could try doesn't hurt. James' teaching here about our, 
about who uh, this planning reminds us a little bit of the Jesus' teaching in the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12, 16 to 21. Uh, the rich fool's parable, the rich fool, if you get, uh, just to give you a little background, was a parable that Jesus told about a rich man who had an abundance of crops. He was very successful. He was a farm. He had a lot of grain, uh, stored up in his barns, but he had still more, even more. And you know, you know, all that supply, he doesn't want to just kind of flood the market, so he's going to hold on to it. He's going to store it up because he wants to limit the release of supply. That's a good business, you know, so that, you know, low supply, high demand, good money, make money. So he decided to build bigger barns. Smart, good business practice. He wants to build bigger barns, and then he's going to store up all his wheat, and he'll then have the freedom to release it when he wishes, to sell it when he wants, to make a lot of money, and he'll be happy. But what happens in verse 20? God says to him these words. You fool, he says. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So many of us are like the rich fool who go on life making all sorts of wonderful plans not necessarily evil plans, definite plans, but plans nevertheless. We make plans, but then we ignore the uncertainty of our lives. We ignore also the consequent necessity of trusting God with all our plans. Because we don't even know if we're going to live till tomorrow. We don't even know if we can bring, we, and we ought to know that we are unable to even make sure that our plans will come to pass. Instead, we are in, we ought to boast and trust in the Lord. And James then now moves us to the, the proper response when we make our plans. And he does and teaches us in verse 15 the alternative to boasting in one's plans. Let's not just boast in one's plans and the, the confidence in our plans. Let's, let's boast in the Lord. That's what he's going to say. Instead, verse 15, we read, You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. James wants his readers to acknowledge God's will in their planning. He wants us to, even as we make plans, and he does want us to make some plan, but to acknowledge God in this, in our plans. First of all, we want to note, just remind him, note that what this phrase is not. This phrase uh, that's reflected in the phrase, if the Lord wills, or sometimes we just simply say, Lord willing, is how we put that phrase. Uh, this phrase is not like a magic charm. Okay, it's not a mantra that we are to just simply say whenever my plans, oh, Lord willing. Oh, I, I hope to eat ribs tomorrow, Lord willing. Uh, you know, I hope to go to Disneyland, Lord willing. It, it's not that. Rather, I hope we understand that it is a constant attitude that we are to have where we are submitting our plans to the Lord. We're submitting ourselves, our plans, and really expressing our dependence upon God. The phrase, if the Lord wills, was, was used by the Apostle Paul during his his missionary journeys. In Acts 18, verse 21, Paul, we read Paul taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills. And then he set sail for Ephesus. In Romans chapter 1, verse 10, Paul again writes, If perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. That is the Romans. This attitude of submission to God's will not only is reflected in Paul's missionary journeys, but it's reflected in Jesus' life as well. Jesus was always conscious and always was reflect in his life reflected a submission to God's will. Even he taught us in Matthew 6.10 when to pray, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we praying and even as we go about our lives and talk about the things that we hope to do and things that we need, 
Are we praying, Lord, your will be done? We recognize that your will is what matters. Jesus, in fact, himself, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was facing the very moment before his arrest and his trial and his, his persecution and his death, his suffering on the cross, he knew what was coming. And he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But yet even then, Jesus, the Son of God, said, yet not my will, but yours be done. He submitted his will to God's will. He acknowledged that God's will reigns. Jesus and Paul are examples of us, of people who do not boast in one's own plans, but to boast in the Lord, to acknowledge God in our planning. If we just even looked at Jesus and Paul's lives, we would know that they didn't always use that phrase. They didn't always just say, Lord willing, I'm going to go here. Uh, Especially if you look through Acts or the gospel for Jesus. They don't always say that phrase. And so it just reminds us again, it confirms for us the importance. It's not... It's not the phrase itself, not just saying it like a mantra, but it's the principle behind it. It's the attitude, a recognition that they, we can do nothing apart from the sovereign will of God. In particular, James reminds us that God's will controls our whole lives, every aspect of our lives. And James reminds us here that God's will controls whether we live. Since our lives are like a mist, we need to put our trust in the one who controls our life. Psalm 139, verse 16, Your eyes have seen my informed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. God knows the number of our days. We do not. We don't know if we're going to live tomorrow, but God knows. We don't know if we'll be living here, it will be on earth next year, but God knows. God knows the exact number of our days. He's in control of our days. And so when we plan, we should be submitting ourselves to the one who does know about our lives, who does control our lives, and that's God. So let's acknowledge him in our planning. James, furthermore, reminds us that God controls whether we will do this or that. Something as simple as just going to eat a meal, something to go and just, I'm going to go across town, I'm going to go to another city, something as simple as going to the grocery store even. We may plan to do it, it you know, may seem very easy, and we probably do do it. But James wants us to know that God controls whether we do that or not. God controls it whether we do it or not. If we're going to make plans, we need to acknowledge God's will in our lives. Proverbs 3.6 tells us, in all your ways, and that's just not some ways, not just the big ways, but all your our ways, Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. In all our, will, our desires, our plannings, our hopes, our dreams, acknowledge God. Recognize God in your life, and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. See, we can make all sorts of plans, but we need to remember that God is the one who ultimately directs every little step along the way. It's by his sovereign will his, sometimes we call it his decreed will. But at the same time, even as we think about recognizing God and making a plans, we acknowledge God's sovereign will, that he's in control, his decreed will. But we should also acknowledge God's stated will or his revealed will, and that is God's word. That when we want to know God's will, a lot of times we, we want to know what God's will, like who should I marry, what job should I get, what career I should take. 
that's, we're, we're looking for God's, God's direction. But we should first begin with God's revealed will, right? God's scripture. Right here, scripture itself reveals to us God's will for our lives. What he desires us. Principles, not specific sometimes, like you should go to this city or live in that city or go to uh, take that job or this job. He guides us in the kind of jobs, jobs that would honor him, jobs that would provide. He tells us maybe, uh, he tells us maybe uh, the type of person we should marry. Marry a believer, someone who loves the Lord. What kind of tells us how, how we should raise our children? And so we should raise children who would love the Lord, who would follow in the discipline and instruction of God, of God's word. God's word gives us his revealed will. And so we, as people who make plans, we should always make plans that are in alignment with God's revealed will, as well as recognizing God's decreed will, his sovereign will. All of us make plans, right? I don't know if we all acknowledge that, that we make plans. Some very specific, some detailed, very, some very simple. But no matter what plan we make, God's sovereign will is at work in them all. You plan to go to that school, get that degree, find that job, buy that car, marry that spouse, buy that house, have those children, go on that vacation, get that promotion, retire at that age. But of all our plans, how many of those plans can we actually control? None of them. But that's a good thing. It's a good thing. You know, I wanted to go to that school, but I was rejected. Still sad about it. (laughs) No. I went to another school, and I got saved there. I wanted to study aeronautics and astronautics, but I found the coursework a little bit too difficult. So I studied computer science, and then, you know, the Internet just took off. It was an IT job, in fact, that helped me pay my way through seminary. When I left for Seattle, left Seattle for seminary, I had planned to marry one of those many godly young women down in Los Angeles. It didn't happen. God's woman was already at home. I wanted to have my own biological children by a certain age. Many of you know how that story goes. God gave us the perfect child for us in Kiara. Whether you acknowledge God or not in your plans, it won't have, it won't affect one bit God's sovereign will. But if you do acknowledge, acknowledge him, you will gain the wisdom to see that his plans and his counsel and his will are better and surer than yours. And that's the best place to be. And Proverbs 19.21 says, Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. God's sovereign decreed will for our lives is better. It's, it's a sure thing. And so therefore, when we make plans, we, need to, we should, ought to, if we are wise, yield our plans, submit our plans to God. And let's not boast in our plans. Let's boast in our Lord who brings about the fulfillment of the plans that he wills. And even if he, even our plans don't come about, we know that his will, he, in his will, he has a better plan for us. And we should rejoice in that. 
In verse 16 to 17 then, James concludes his reproof with arriving at the heart of the problem with making plans apart from God. What is at the heart of this problem? Is it just really a matter of wisdom? Is it really just simply foolishness? You know, sometimes we'll say this phrase, you know, it's really not a sin, it's just a matter of wisdom. Okay, it's just a, you know, choice between good, better, and best, perhaps. But James is going to make very clear here that boasting in one's plans is not just a matter of wisdom. It's a matter of evil, a matter of sin, of right and wrong. And we learn about the evil of boasting in one's plans here in verses 16 through 17. I want to make again very clear that it's, it is, James is not saying that it's sinful to make plans. Okay? Planning, it's not a de- demonstrating a lack of trust when we, when we make plans. Oh, and I kind of think about that in an illogical sense, when we're, especially when we're young Christians. We say, oh, to not to trust in the Lord, if I make all these plans, then it shows that I'm not trusting in God. No, and that's not necessarily true. But James reproves us when we make plans apart from acknowledging God's will. And why this is wrong, James explains in verse 16. First of all, he tells us that it is, to do so, is evil boasting. It is evil boasting. Verse 16, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. James now uses this word boast. In fact, I love our songs this morning because they reflected this term boast. And even in the songs that we sung, we realized that boasting, you know, when you think about boasting, we might think, of, oh, that's a sinful thing, isn't it? But no, in the Bible, boasting is actually a neutral term. And even in the songs we sung today, we can see that there's a positive kind of boasting. Boasting is a word that uh, isn't just necessarily that we puff up our chest, but something that we glory in, we exalt in, something that we rejoice over, something that we find a, uh, a significance in, something that is significant for our lives something that is of substance, something that we identify with, that we can be, in a sense, proud of, we might say, that we can rejoice over. That's this idea of boast. So boasting can be good or bad, and in such as the songs, but also in 1 Corinthians one thirty one, and which reflects Jeremiah 9, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's a good kind of boasting. A good kind of boasting is when we glory, when we exult in the fact that we know the Lord. One of the best things that we should have as, as Christians, as we should ex- be excited about in our lives, is that we know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. You know, even when things are not going in our, well in our life, we should boast in the Lord. I think about Job. You think about Job when he went through all his trials and everything was taken away. But Job refused to, to curse his God because he knew that he had the Lord and he was going to boast in his, that his trust, he trusted the Lord in the midst of his trials. But there is a kind of boasting that's wrong. And this is the boasting that James talks about here. It's, he says, when we boast not in the Lord, but in other things. And he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. This phrase, in your arrogance, tells us it, it could be the manner of boasting. In the sense that you boast arrogantly, as it just describes our boasting. We're arrogantly boasting. But the syntax here just seems to, is consistent throughout the New Testament when we see this phrase, boast in something. It's always interpreted or translated as the object of, one's, object of one's boasting. So here, really, James says, it is evil when you boast in your arrogances. Actually, the, uh, the Greek, it's in plural. It's your arrogances, or it could be your, your pretensions, is a, probably a better translation. You boast in your pretensions. That word pretension is kind of a, you know, a word that we uh, I don't know, may not use on an everyday basis. But it's this idea, it pictures this idea of one who makes more of himself 
than really, ju- than, than real- than really justifies. Or one who promises more than he can perform. You kind of meet people that, they, you know, salespeople sometimes do this. And no offense, salespeople. Uh, they, they kind of oversell. So this is the miracle product. You're gonna, this will change your life. You will become awesome if you drive this car, wear this clothes, or eat this food. It was used in the, in the Greek literature of orators, philosophers, doctors, cooks, and officials. Uh, no offense of any you or any of those things. But there were people who would boast about themselves and what they could do, what they could provide without basis. But in our context here, these arrogances that the people were boasting in is that reflected that when finite transitory man boasts in having made certain plans for the future, that is a boasting in his arrogance. That he's boasting that he or she is able to make such plans. That there's an arrogance saying, oh, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to accomplish it. It's that confidence that draws, that sort of draws the respect and command of others. But significantly, the devil was the first to do so. In Isaiah 14, verse 13 to 14, we receive his words He says, I will ascend to the heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the most high. He would make himself God. And he was so convincing, he led a third of the angels with him. But since the fall of man, we see this kind of boasting among ourselves as well. Among our church Christians and non-Christians. I'm going to win that game. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to get rich. I'm going to get mine. At least that's how we used to say it. Now, some confuse this for confidence. It seems to be that there is a fine line between confidence and arrogance. But biblically, it's very clear. If our confidence is in our own abilities instead of Christ, then that is arrogance. That's an arrogance. Instead, our confidence, you know, Christians can be confident. Paul talks about confidence all the time in 2 Corinthians specifically. He had a confidence in Christ. A confidence in Christ. All that we are and all that we have is by the grace of God, isn't it? In fact, even as we think about this boastfulness that James is warning us against, we, we can't help but think of, or maybe we can't help but think of that, the categories of sin. That is actually one of the three major categories of sin in our world as recorded for us in first john two sixteen, there we see the all the different sins within this world are characterized by the lust of the flesh the things that give us pleasure to our flesh the lust of the eyes the things that just appeal to the things that we want you know our greed and then there is the boastful pride of life the all the things that go on in life that we might find boastful pride in that we find that we are special because we do those things. That word boastful pride is actually the exact same Greek word as the word arrogance here in verse 16. And James calls this kind of boasting, when we boast in our plans, that, that our confidence in our plans, this, he calls this a, a kind of, bo- he calls this kind of boasting for what it is. He says all such boasting is evil. How can it be evil? But when we understand what we're doing, when we boast, we see how evil it is. You see, to say that we can have confidence to control by ourselves and affect our future is to essentially say that we are God, that I'm in control. Really, we're not in control of anything. We're just vapor and mist. 
But to say with confidence, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to go here, I'm going to spend this amount of time, I'm going to make money, that, with that confidence and not acknowledging God, is to say that I have control and I'm God. And that's sometimes, some people say that that's really the heart of sin, that we, presume, we believe that we're in control of our destiny and not God. We make ourselves to be God and not let God be God. Instead, we ought, when we make plans, we ought to and should have the attitude of a Lord willing, submitting our plans to him. Not only is this boasting evil, as James now point, has pointed out to us, but he then tells us also, furthermore, that it's sin. That it is sin, verse 17. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. The therefore indicates that James is concluding his matter. He's concluding what he's just written. He's bringing it to kind of to a summary. And remember in verse 13, he addresses specifically the one who, the type of people who make these pretentious plans. But in verse 17, you'll notice that he broadens it. He's speaking of more a broader principle, a general statement that he makes. He now talks about the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it. And James tells us that if the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him, it is sin. And what we see here is something that's taught in the theology. We call it the sin of omission. There are sins we call the sins of commission. When we commit a sin like stealing, lying, or boasting, that is a sin of commission. We've committed a sin. But when we do something, when we do not do something that is commanded by God, when we fail to love our neighbor, to forgive one another, or to make disciples of Jesus Christ, that is sin. In our context, then, the right thing for believers to do is to acknowledge the Lord when we make our plans. And all the plans that we make, that we would acknowledge him, that we recognize that this is always Lord willing. This is a, would be only as it is according to God's will. And instead of boasting in our plans, we ought to be boasting in our Lord as we make those plans. That if any of my plans are going to seed, it won't be, it will be because of the Lord. And if my plans do not succeed, it will be okay. Because I still have my Lord who is in control of all things. And this is the right thing to do. And if we don't do this, it is sin. It's not just being unwise, not just being foolish, it's being a sinning. Jesus in Luke chapter twelve, verse forty seven, told a parable of watchful servants. And there he said, And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. A warning to the seriousness of knowing what our master wants and not doing it. But this verse reminds us of what James wrote earlier in the book of James about being doers of the word, not merely hearers. We who hear the word of God, it's easy just to be content with hearing it. And knowing it in our head. But we ought not be content with just with that. We ought to try to do it. A genuine faith in Jesus Christ is going to manifest throughout our lives. That faith is going to be manifest. We had to trust Christ at the moment of salvation, right? For our eternal life. But we also need to trust Christ throughout our lives. And that includes all our plans. We need to trust ourselves. Just like we cast. When you, remember when you came to Christ, you threw yourself at the mercy of Christ. When you make, you know, I make plans, we need to throw ourselves at the mercy of Christ too, right? 
We need to acknowledge that it's only, this is what we hope to do. You hope to marry that spouse. You hope to get that job. You hope to get graduate from school. You hope to uh, build your career. You hope to get that promotion. You hope to retire then. You hope to do a pl- the Warriors win. All these things, we should cast ourselves at the mercy of God instead of, you know, the hands of men or our hands. Are we trusting Christ? Are you trusting Christ with your plans? James says that if you do not do so, if you don't have that attitude to do so, of acknowledging God in the midst of all whatever plan you make, then it is evil, it is evil boasting, and it is sin. As we conclude then, a few just practical kind of, a practical reminder kind of saying to help us kind of hang our hats on as we go off. So just as you think about Lord willing. So you just don't need to go say Lord willing every time you make plans or it's to say, hey, let's go lunch today, Lord willing. You know, uh, yeah, we'll go to, you know, let's go, you know, get some dum sum, Lord willing. Uh, you don't have to say that every single time, but keep these three concepts. As we make plans, we should always, or we should, Refer to God's will. Always refer to God's will. And as we should always recognize that this is Lord willing. Without having to say so, let us refer to God's will. That this is if God wills, we will do this. Whether that means in his decreed sovereign will or in his in decreed sovereign will or his revealed written word, his desired will. Secondly, we should defer to God's will as we make plans. Defer. Matthew 6.10, Jesus taught us that may your will be done. Even in, him in, the, even in the garden, not my will but yours. And that Jesus always, when we make plans, we always kind of, our plans tend to be number one. And, but we should always, and then God's plan, when God's plan happens, we're like, oh, that's good too. God's plan shouldn't be our backup plan. God's plan should, we should always try to have God's plan to be our number one plan. His plan. Let's Defer to God's will. Lord, this is what I'm thinking, but what is your will? What would you have me do? Defer to God's will, especially revealed. And then thirdly, let's prefer God's will. Prefer God. Romans 12, 2 talks about don't, not being conformed to the world, uh, but being transformed by the renewing of mind, so that we might prove or discern the will of God. That we would then understand God's will and that we would always re- that we would do that of what God wills for us. Let's prefer God's will. In our lives. And so they kind of just things that are helpful to you. I read in a commentary. I thought, oh, I'll share it with you guys. Um, but if not, just remember this one phrase. If the Lord wills. And that kind of summarizes everything for us, what we talked about. As we make plans, human beings, finite human beings that we are, mist and vapor. All we, and, I, and I venture to guess, if you're still here, there's still things you plan, you hope for, you desire for yourself, for your family, for the people you love. And you're probably making plans for those things. As you make those plans, you have those hopes and dreams. Let us remember this phrase. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. We will do this or that. We'll go, do, get, go to that place. We'll accomplish that plan. And we'll bring glory to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths and We pray that you would help us to examine our own lives. Father, forgive us for the many times that we live our lives just really 
without any thought of who you are, any thought of your will. And here we are as Christians, Father. We just forget. We, we are so forgetful, Lord. Maybe we're just so sinful. Lord, we pray that even as we think about these words, may the plans that we have in our hearts and our minds, the, the hopes and dreams that we have for ourselves, for our family, for our loved ones, for our future, help us to submit them to you, to acknowledge you in all our ways, to consider your will, to even prayerfully seek in our plans that your will be done. For Father, we know that ultimately, no matter what we do, it is your will that will stand. Your plans will remain when our plans have long faded. Father, we pray that you would glorify yourself through the fulfillment of your will in our lives, in the lives of the people in our, in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in the, throughout the history of mankind for your glory. And Lord, we pray that and as, we, as we have this attitude, may we be people who not, no longer boast in our own plans, but may we be a people who boast in you not boasting in our riches, our wisdom, and our strength, but boasting in the fact that because we know you and your righteousness and your justice and your loving kindness, that your plans for us are the best plans for us. We thank you, Father, for these, this hope. Help us to keep seeking your plans and your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.